nominations are now open for the 2017 Bioceuticals Integrative Medicine Awards, the Beamers. As healthcare practitioners, we care for our patients and while our therapies can have a major impact on them, there are few opportunities for us to celebrate our success stories as a profession. Now is the time to have your contribution to integrative healthcare recognised. There are many different categories and as usual, great prizes to be won. For more information, go to the Education tab at bioceuticals.com.au. Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Dr Denise Finesse. She conducted her PhD in Nutritional Genomics and Genome Health at CSIRO Human Nutrition under the mentorship of the esteemed Professor Michael Fennick. Denise has been involved in genetics and nutrition health research for over 12 years and was principal researcher in the Predicting Adverse Pregnancy Study, PAPO study, at the Women's and Children's Health Hospital in Adelaide. Her interests include the diagnosis and treatment of underlying conditions such as detoxification, inflammation, oxidative stress and methylation. Denise works closely with integrative practitioners in order to apply this knowledge and address the possible underlying issues associated with various health concerns, including fertility, gastrointestinal disorders and mental health. Denise, welcome back to FX Medicine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for that long-winded explanation and introduction. That was very nice that, of you to go through all of that. That's not long-winded. I've cut so much out. You've done heaps. <laughs> but, I mean, that's uh, only one study that you were involved in. You were involved in another study, weren't you? I, yeah, so my first, my, my PhD project was a high-risk cohort funded by the NIH, NIH so that was just a high-risk pregnancy study. I was also involved, though I definitely wasn't a principal investigator, but I was one of the investigators in Adelaide in the SCOPE study, which was a huge international pregnancy cohort. Um, and, yeah, obviously have done a lot in, in the nutrition world um, as well. So, so and, fit, and the fitness world. So, um, ah, also, nice. yes, I also um, work in, in fitness and have a sort of special interest, I guess, in, in women's health and pregnancy, um, but also just general fitness. So not right now because I'm only a few weeks off having a baby, but when I'm at my best, I'm teaching RPM at the gym mind and you, out there pumping iron. and <laughs> Mind you, you were still pumping iron. I mean, you're you're expecting in less than a month, is it? Um, but um, That's correct. <laughs> yes, we've got, a baby, we've got a baby coming soon. Yay. But you were still doing squats, I was wasn't it? I was training three times a week when I saw you. The other day. So I've, I've had a week off because I've been a little bit unwell. And Lazy. I'm feeling quite <laughs> <laughs> heavily pregnant, but my – I. I do plan to go back tomorrow morning. I would like to, I mean, my training is, is backed off hugely compared to what it was. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely, definitely it's not just about the nutrition and, the, and, and uh, you know, avoiding toxins and chemicals, which we'll talk about today, but also exercise, I, I believe, is very important. Absolutely. And indeed, we're talking today about doing a, a genetic detox profile, one fraught with controversy in the medical world. But the thing that interests me about this controversy is, well, well hang on, isn't the greatest evidence for genomic testing in drug detox? 
I'm biased because I don't do drug detox, um, <laughs> you know, testing. So I would say there's a lot of genetic testing around, you know, other areas such as all those things you were discussing in the introduction. So the methylation, the inflammation, the oxidative stress. But you are correct in saying that we do have a lot of evidence around all those um, cytochrome P450 genes that code for enzymes that break down um, medications and then we can determine how someone may respond to a medication based on genetic variations within these enzymes. There's also um, a lot of research around particular genetic variations for disease, so mm. that's sort of diagnostic genetics as well, but right. um, I obviously don't, don't work in that area either. I'm not sort of diagnosing rare genetic diseases, more looking at um, genes that have a functional effect in sort of these underlying pathways that could relate to a chronic inflammation, which could impact on obviously so many health conditions, you know, methylation, folate, metabolism, fertility, etc. Mm-hmm. I do sort of pick up that the detractors of uh, genetic testing or genomic testing, let's say, SNP testing, um, it, it seems like a bit of a turf war to me. It's like it's okay for drug testing because that's what we prescribe, but it's not okay for everything mm. else because we can't prescribe something for it. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Um, I guess, to be honest, I'm surprised that the drug testing hasn't isn't bigger than what it is. Yes. So when I first learned about this, I moved from research into clinical practice about four years ago and actually um, – Professor Les Sheffield, his son, came out and spoke to us, the medical practice I work at, and explained about the testing that they were doing. And I thought, this is amazing. Every single doctor will take this up because I'm obviously inclined to do genetic testing and, um, and I guess, have a background in the area. But I don't think it's been taken up as quickly as I thought it would have. There are definitely practitioners that utilize this, but I don't think it's as widespread as I expected because uh, it has been around for a while. There is hard evidence. Mm. Um, I guess the other thing is that um, until perhaps it's um, subsidised by Medicare yeah. at the moment, it still is costly, um, and and because of that, it's not mainstream as yet. But I think, as you say, like particularly with pig-headed drugs like warfarin, and you know a drug that you definitely want to work and you want to know that it's going to work, like tamoxifen. If only, if only for those two drugs. I am surprised that it's not taken off much more than what it has. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As soon as when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, this is amazing. Everyone will be doing it, particularly in the world of mental health. Mm. Um, a lot of people have um, you know, side effects or they, they don't benefit. Um, they wonder why or, or in some cases you know, the side effects are quite serious. So in this case where we do know a lot about these particular cytochrome pores, P450s that are utilised to metabolise particular drugs in relation to mental health, for me, that seems like a no-brainer. Why yeah. wouldn't you? And I, unless the person is you know, really financially struggling, I'd imagine that if the patient understood, they would pay for this because all they want to do is, is feel better. Yeah. So why almost use themselves as a guinea pig to trial medications? Because particularly with the mental health patients that I have spoken with, you know, they're often sort of, you know, changing this medication, having this, and it, it's um, it's not the best way to do things, I think, when we have evidence that could um, stop a lot of this and they should be directed in what medication will be best for them based on their genes. So I've got to ask, we're going to be talking not about the drug detox profile, but in indeed a, 
I'm not going to say a functional detox profile because that will confuse practitioners, but a, a genetic SNP detox profile with regards to other agents, things in our mm-hmm. lifestyle. Tell me what you test for and, and what's mm. the relevance, what's the evidence indeed about these things? So when I'm thinking about um, detoxification or a patient comes to me and um, we think there may be an issue with toxins or chemicals, and this would be based on things like symptoms. For example, they're sensitive. They're sensitive to foods. They're sensitive to creams they put on their skin. You know, they breathe in fumes. They get headaches. They're unwell. So they're chemically sensitive. So so we can tell often just from someone telling you about their symptoms, mm. but also we can we can we can test so many things these days. You can find out does someone have high levels of benzenes, which are you know things found in exhaust fumes and um, industrial pollution, things like that. But also, do they have high phthalates, things that come in plastics, parabens, particularly for women? So a lot of the um, preservatives found in a lot of women's skincare products have have parabens. Um, and these are highly debatable on on whether they are safe or not. Yeah. So we can we can either go from I can either sort of listen to the symptoms, or um, we can do further testing and find out if someone does have high levels of these things. And then this would direct me to think, well, let's find out why this person is more vulnerable. Why are they susceptible? Um, aside from the obvious, you know, if it's benzene and they're living next door to a um, petrol station, yeah, it's dark. then we can we can we can sort of we can we can put the pieces of the puzzle together. But otherwise, what we do is we start to investigate a little further. And the genes that I look at are involved in phase one detoxification. So I mentioned before about cytochrome P450s. These are our phase one detox enzymes. There's a whole family of these, and what they do is they sort of convert the chemical into often what is more toxic than the original substance. Mm. So phase one, we've got phase one, then we've got phase two. Phase two, sort of the clearing, helping sort of neutralize the the toxins and chemicals to excrete them from the body. But sometimes people have genetic variations in the cytochrome P450s, and this actually speeds up the activity. And when you think about genetic variations, we often refer to variations that slow the enzyme activity so you think there's there's an issue with sort of slowed function and you may not get um, the proper activity of an enzyme or a transport or a receptor or something but in this case the genetic variation that has a negative effect um, are those that speed up the activity because you're getting more of these toxic metabolites and then often people have issues with phase two because of genetic variations in things like glutathione transferase enzymes which mean they're working a bit slower or poor diet so they're not getting um, things that are going to support that that phase two so um, the glutathione but also even anyone that has gastrointestinal disorders they're not absorbing their nutrients that's going to affect um, the detoxification as well so we're looking for these genes that may make them more vulnerable Mm. the other thing aside from looking at uh, genetic variations within genes that are directly related to detoxification I also look for genetic variations in antioxidant enzymes. Mm-hmm. So there are enzymes like um, superoxide dismutase that we know are very, very powerful antioxidants, and there are genetic variations that have been shown um, and that we can test for that show the activity is, is slowed down, which would mean that person's ability to naturally deal with oxidative stress is not as good as compared to someone who, who didn't have the genetic variation. So if you've got the, the toxins... The effect of those toxins is usually, you know, higher oxidative stress, and then that high oxidative stress can lead to, you know, inflammation, and that's when you sort of get these 
this sort of vicious cycle of things going on in the body, um, people becoming more sensitive, feeling unwell, etc. I have to ask, when, indeed, why would you choose to do SNP testing of detox profiles rather than, let's say, a functional detox profile? What What's the difference and, and the clinical importance of either? So I guess, well, number one, we want to find out often the why. Why is someone, why does this person have higher levels compared to someone else? And the genetics is part of that. The diet's part of that. Exercise, I mentioned I'm an exerciser. If you're an exerciser, you naturally upregulate to switch on your antioxidant enzymes. So you've got a better ability to deal with oxidative stress. So aside from talking about all the lifestyle stuff, the genetics help someone to understand why they may be more susceptible. So number one, I personally believe um, and see that patients have a feeling of empowerment or just when when they understand and have some knowledge about why things might be happening. Because often people think, what what the hell is wrong with me? There's Sometimes people think it might even be in their head when they've got multiple things going on and the next person doesn't have these things. So you're able to explain to them, which makes them feel better. On top of that, you're able to then provide advice, personalised advice on their genes, whether that is exercise. So I do talk about exercise in relation to, to oxidative stress and antioxidants. But also particular nutrients. I mentioned the superoxide dismutase, the particular genetic variation that um, is, is well known and that we test for that has a functional effect is within the MN sod. So we know that manganese yep. is a, a is something that's required for this enzyme. So manganese isn't something that we commonly test for, but there are times when you know someone really is having some issues with chemical sensitivities. We can see certain things going on. With you know, and 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 they've got high oxidative stress. They uh-huh. also measure um, hydroperoxide, which would give us a marker of oxidative stress. I might then go and say, well, let's have a look at your manganese levels, um, based on knowing that the MN sod is, is, may not be functioning as well, and then we can give manganese. Or in the case sometimes people won't test manganese, we'll just give a small amount of manganese or or antioxidant type supplements that specifically work with these genes um, to promote the function. So when I talked about the glutathione peroxidase, I'm sorry, the glutathione transferase enzymes um, before, we may think that someone really needs to support that production of glutathione. So whether you're going to give something like NAC, um, because we know cysteine's a limiting factor in producing glutathione naturally, or um, there's now these, you know, liposomal glutathions that are that are meant to be, you know, highly effective. So you may want to support like that if you think the issue is around that phase two detox. So, so doing the genes helps you work out what areas particularly need support, and then you treat based on that. So that sort of personalised medicine. So, to differentiate it from a functional liver profile, a detox profile. This would give you a, more of a clue into what areas particularly need support. The other one tells you, in general, how the, um, let's say, the general funnels of detoxification are working. It, would that be the, yes. the right? Yes. And also, the other thing is that we, so for example, if we're talking about, I mentioned sort of benzene, um, so a lot of the cytochrome P450s the common ones that have genetic variations like CYP1B1, um, CYP1A2, which we know for caffeine and the CYP1A1, but 
even the 1A2, it doesn't just metabolize caffeine. Anyone that's done genetic testing will probably think of CYP1A2 as caffeine metabolism. That's how it's reported, but it doesn't just metabolize caffeine. It, along with um, the other SIPs that I just mentioned, also metabolize things called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, including um, some of the benzene. So if people have genetic variations in these, we can tell them that genetically they don't deal with particular chemicals as well as someone else. Right. So when I was talking about the education side, not only is it about treating, it's saying, okay, well, you don't deal with this as well. So you need to consider this. Are you living near a freeway? If yeah. so, you probably want to move because it doesn't really matter how many supplements we give, taking away that chemical or toxin that you don't deal with as well is going to be the best the best thing we can do. Yeah. And the caffeine too, even the CYP1A2, um, you know, discussing that with, with when people are fast or slow metabolizers, it's a bit like with the drugs or the chemicals, the body treats caffeine like a drug. So yeah. we can talk to people and say, well, this is why that you don't tolerate caffeine very well because I have to admit that it's pretty clear cut. Every now and again, someone will come in and tell me they're drinking coffee even though they've got the variants associated yeah. <laughs> with slow caffeine metabolism. But majority of the time, the people will be sitting across from me and say, I can't tolerate it. I get palpitations. Yeah. I can't sleep. Um, so you're able to sort of educate them on why and, and, and what chemicals um, or particular toxins and things they should be avoiding as well. Thing thing that springs to mind for me when you were mentioning 101, 102 is estrogen metabolism. Um, so yes, I dare say, very much so. Yeah, you're getting these. I, I guess the picture that's forming in my mind is this may answer um, why certain treatment, I don't like this word protocol, so tr- certain treatment approaches to hormonal mm. uh, issues in women may work for some women really well and may not work for others. They, they might be, you know, recalcitrant um, in their benefits, if you like. They just don't get mm, the benefit so when you say do the same approach. Exactly. I'm really happy you put it in those terms because this is really what this is about. Why do some people benefit from some things and why do they not? Mm. And that's because a lot of it is to do with our genes. So when we talk about the estrogen metabolism, I do a lot with women's health. So whether we're talking about fertility or endometriosis or a lot of sort of estrogen dominant, um, even weight. So I do do a little bit of work in the fitness industry um, with women that, that, that compete at a high level and you know they, they need to get their weight down before they're doing certain competitions. Um, and estrogen is known to be associated with sort of fat deposition in particular parts of the body. So I do do a little bit with estrogen metabolism for various health and aesthetic reasons. And I will be looking at the cytochrome P450s um, that you mentioned, but also then the phase two with the COMPT. So we know that that COMPT, catechol O methyltransferase, uses a methyl group um, to sort of excrete some of those estrogen metabolites. So if someone's got genetic variations in the phase one enzymes that are involved in estrogen metabolism and in the phase two, they're more inclined to not deal with estrogens as well. So then I can you know, talk to them about things like, you know, are they on some type of contraceptive that's got a lot of estrogen in it yeah. because perhaps that's not right for them? Are they exposed to xenoestrogens? You know, what kind of lifestyle are they living? Are they are they having enough of the bees, you know, which is going to help with methylation and excreting, you know, estrogens, things like that? So it's not just about getting rid of, I guess, chemicals and toxins. You know, hormones are, are chemicals, endogenous chemicals yes. as well. So this is a lot to do with hormone metabolism as well. Can I ask then, is there... Uh, you know, genetic SNPs are there, genetic SNPs that indeed when somebody has, 
forgive my ignorance about how I speak, but let's say they have the double <laughs> allele and indeed what it yep. does is get rid of things like estrogen too much um, so that they might be at um, greater risk of having lower circulating levels of estrogen and therefore not gaining benefit in or having greater risk of, say, osteoporosis or cardiovascular disease. Yeah, do we find mm. that? Um, I have... N- I don't think that if someone had a genetic variation, they would clear too much estrogen from based on their genes. How, however, anyone that is living a certain lifestyle and not eating enough and exercising yeah. too hard will have, hmm. without a doubt, lower sure. estrogen because it's related to, to fat mass. So there are definitely things that will affect that. But I'm not the, genetically. Um, it's more to do with you with the enzymes involved in in that or the COMPT really, which is the main one we know about, the phase two clearing, you either sort of have that normal function or, well, actually it can speed up or slow down. The answer is I don't think so, but let me do some reading. I don't, I don't think so, but a good question. <laughs> oh, God. Hopefully, Gail, some good questions. <laughs> but, yeah, so, good uh, question. I'll yeah. have to go. I do some reading. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, again, on, on another note, there's been other examples where indeed a SNP might have a protective so, benefit. No. Um, so does yeah, that no, occur right. with detox? Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, all of these things, we talk about, you know, the variants, which, you know, sometimes do offer a protective um, benefit. It may not always be sort of the the negative um, thing, but the variants, um, we're often talking about how this may sort of have a negative impact. But even if you don't have the the variant, so in in the odd occasion, the variant can offer some benefit, but even if you don't, there are protective things. So, there, when you think of something like um, cancer, this is definitely not an area I work in, but anyone that is interested, there's actually, can't think it off the top of my head, but if you did some Googling, there's a great government um, website that talks about genetics and cancer, and it actually has a PowerPoint presentation that you can flick through, and it goes through, you know, what is what are genes, what are alleles, what are SNPs, and it talks about various SNPs in relation to sort of detoxification and cancer. And it's it's really good for people that don't have a an understanding of genetics because the the graphics and the way they explain it is is, is very good for the lay person. And what it shows is that if some you know someone could be living and anyone that's actually seen a lot of my presentations, I actually got permission to use a couple of their slides mm. because they're they're really good. Mm. But it shows the difference between you know two two young guys living a completely you know, similar lifestyle. They're drinking and they're smoking and probably uni having fun. But then as time goes on, one goes on to develop cancer and the other one doesn't, despite them having, you know, similar amounts of alcohol and yep. tobacco, um, completely different outcomes. And what it relates it to is it talks about this these difference in the detoxification SNPs. So someone may get lung cancer um, and have been a smoker or even just be more sensitive to smoker, secondhand smoke, whereas someone else could be a smoker and not develop lung cancer. But this, one of the possible reasons could be that they don't have a lot of these genetic variations in the SNPs. Their ability to deal with the chemicals in that cigarette are much better than than someone else's. Plus, on top of that, not only um, do they have the, the genes that are helping support that, they've obviously don't have other things. Perhaps they're not as stressed. Perhaps their diet is, is a little bit better. Um, perhaps they're an exerciser, so they're sort of switching on all those antioxidant yeah. genes and deal with the oxidative stress a bit better. But when we do think about things like you know cancer and chronic conditions, our genes can either, it's, we talk about risk, but yeah. they also can be 
very much protective. So to me, like a couple of things floating around my my brain when you mentioned that um, scenario, two guys, similar alcohol, you know, bad lifestyle, quote unquote. One has the ongoing issues, health issues. One doesn't. You know, one might have what we used to call the bull physiology. But eventually those protective processes will break down. You know, let's say cigarette smoke, you know, like one gets cancer early, one gets cancer late. They're still mm. bad. <laughs> um, yes, yes. But I wouldn't say that it's protective in the sense that you can, we all have a threshold, yeah. and even if you are genetically stronger or, you know, genetically you're able to deal with things better, reality is there is a threshold. And um, as we age, everything, basically our our genes don't work as well. So mm. uh, but- what happens over time is that we, we sort of develop more and more, you know, what's known as DNA damage or genome damage. And that means that, um, and that's sort of, that's part of aging and getting all the wrinkles and things as well. Our cells aren't turning over as quickly. Our DNA isn't replicating as well. So even if you are genetically stronger, that doesn't mean that you aren't going to have some health impacts later on in life. Yeah. It just means that you're likely to avoid them for a lot longer. For a lot. Yeah, that's right. Um, so to me, I wonder about uh, what I'm thinking here is who should have the test. So I wonder if you you see these sort of patients that, you know, they might come and present with to you with the words like, oh, you know, my friend drinks all the time and I drink all the time, but they're always fine and I'm always sick and they're constantly telling me, oh, you're always sick or you're always having issues with this. And so I know this is a biased sort of sampling, I guess, but um, mm. do you ever see that? It, like the, the patient who presents saying, oh, I'm the one who always gets this. To be honest, I, I guess I've been doing this so long now, I almost think I can tell what people are going to have when they sit down and right. me and when we start the consult, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not always right, but a lot of the time you are. So I can sort of think, okay, there's stuff going on here with, you know, detox or there's stuff going on with methylation or there's definitely an inflammatory thing. Someone comes in and they're talking about pain in their knees and their hips and they've got, you know, asthma and you know, eczema or something, you know, I'm thinking, all right, this is probably going to be all around, you know, inflammation and things yeah. like that. So um, I do probably start to do a bit of an analysis and as you, because, you know, getting a really good case history is, is so important as well. It helps direct where you want to go. Mm. With the genetic testing, I guess because this is what I am known for, and maybe different for other people that um, haven't come from a genetics background, they may only do this for select um you know, subpopulations or select patients in their clinic. Um, but for me, I really do genetic testing on almost everyone because that is really, I guess, sort of my niche area. I work with um, four integrative GPs and any of any of their patients that are wanting genetics will sort of be referred on to me. Mm. Um, plus, I guess it's such a growing field. There's not a lot of people in Australia that are doing this. Well, they are. It's growing, but it's still... It's still hard to, I think, find practitioners that are really delving into the genetics. So um, a lot of people actually come to me because they want genetic testing done and there's so much information on the internet these days. So people are generally contacting me. Uh, anyone that knows me knows I can be a bit hard to get onto. I don't even have a website or anything yet. But um, it's sort of, I guess, the word has spread about me doing the genetics and people are coming and wanting it. So almost every patient that sees me 
is going to get genetic testing. One, because they either they want it themselves or they've been referred by a doctor because they think this is the next step to yeah. try to understand whatever their health concern is. My, my, I guess my passionate area or sort of, you know, the women's health and the fertility stuff, yeah. I come from that area. And for me, the genetics is really important in that. I think that um, even if someone didn't know about genetics, I was seeing me for fertility, so they're probably the two two main things that come come to me is fertility patients and genetics. Yeah. I would be recommending genetic testing. And it's one thing that you you only have to do it once, unlike yes, some of the, the or other tests where you sort of want to follow up and monitor someone's low in vitamin D. We want to find out is the vitamin D now higher. You might do another one in three months' time. With the genetics, once it's done, it's done. Hmm. They can revisit their results. They can revisit their summary from me to understand you know, about their strengths and, and weaknesses, if I can sort of simplify it like that. So you specialise, as you said, in, in genetic testing all the time. For practitioners mm. that are just in normal everyday practice, um, when would they say, hey, listen, we should really be looking at a, a genetic profile for detoxification, say? So I think um, these are the kind of tests that you bring in when you have your complicated complicated patients, the ones that don't seem to be getting any better. Yeah. Why aren't they getting any better? Why isn't it? You, you may, every, I guess, practitioner has their area of specialty and, and a way they practice that may work for them. But sometimes things don't don't work out that way. So you need to delve a little deeper. That's when I would be looking at the genetics. Also, when um, someone actually just wants to know why, because it is it is a great tool for having that deeper understanding of your own body hmm. and how it works um, and and again as I said for patients that don't seem to be it's, it's probably not something you might do straight off the bat because um, particularly if, if the patient doesn't know much about it it might be a bit intense to just say we're going to do genetic testing but if you've been working with your patient for a little while perhaps they've got these chemical sensitivities whether it's to you know foods or creams or the things that I mentioned earlier you may say well I think that we should do some genetic testing here straight to find out are you, you know, more vulnerable? Let's mm. have a look at your, you know, your risk. And if you are at risk, what are the chemicals that, you know, you don't tolerate as well? And then what can we do to address that? Because it's not, even if someone is, say, particularly more sensitive to benzene, it's not just the benzene that's an issue. Once mm. you start mm. to get this higher toxic load, then you become almost sensitive to everything because your detox system is overworked. So... So you want to you want to be able to identify those things and really be and help that patient um, learn what they need to um, avoid, as well as then, as I said, that the, the nutrition is also key as well. Yeah. I can't say enough about diet, and I'm yes. fairly certain that most of the listeners that you'd be getting would already know this. You know, the diet is key, but yeah. this can help you tailor, um, you know, and, and discuss things like antioxidant-rich foods, things that are going to provide. Um, support for that that phase two, you know, if if it's if it is a hormonal thing, you know, discussing the methylation and the B vitamins, so it helps you sort of guide and tailor their nutritional intake mm. as well as um, prescribe supplements. And you know, with most patients, I am prescribing supplements. That's the way that I work. I don't intend for them to be on them forever, but really to give their system a boost and help them get well. Really, Denise, um, would you be amenable to delving into the various SNPs that one would be testing in a detoxification profile at a later stage and we might d go through the various types of things that are tested for and what their um, clinical relevance is? 
Absolutely. We could do that. We could talk about the the particular SNPs. I've obviously touched on some briefly, but we could go into a bit more detail or perhaps even think about a case study or something like yes. that to try to add Perfect. a bit of a practical touch to it. Lovely. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking us through the relevance today and, you know, when you wouldn't when you wouldn't choose testing because I fully agree with you. Like, I think there'd be a lot of cases where you think uh, where you would consider genetic testing for detox if it's the chronically unwell patient. But there might also yes. be those times where you'd say, let's use this as a foundation so that we know that we can direct your therapy and get the best results for you. Um, straight off the bat, yes. rather than wasting therapy, you know? As I said, particularly for those of what I call um, the sensitive patients, when yeah. someone comes in and they're highly sensitive, that's telling you straight away there's something going on with detox. So if you can get to some of these underlying, you know, causes or associations, um, causes may be a strong word, but, you know, get to some of these underlying factors that may be associated with this, then you are addressing these directly and helping them, you know, possibly quicker um, than if you were just sort of doing trial and error. Brilliant practice tips. Thanks, Dr. Denise Vaness, for joining us again today on FX Medicine. I love speaking with you. I love talking to you too, and I look forward to our next chat. Bye, everyone. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. The 5th Bioceuticals Research Symposium will be held from the 21st to the 23rd of April 2017 in Sydney. This promises to be another sellout event. For more information, including registration, go to the Education tab at bioceuticals.com.au. This is Andrew from FX Medicine. We thank you so much for your support over the last two years. We'd really love to remain clinically relevant to your practice. So if you know of an expert in some area, please let us know. You can contact us on fxmedicine.com.au, Facebook or Twitter.